Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Shalom Agdarab. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. We have the gift of hearing from Reverend Grace and Matthew, Senior Pastor of First United Methodist Church in Evanston, Illinois. Pastor Grace is a citizen of the world for whom the world is her parish. As an African who is married to a European and is raising an American son, Grace is fluent in three languages, was educated in Kenya, the United States, England, and Israel. She has preached in Germany, Ireland, New Zealand, Togo, Liberia, Denmark, Australia, Malaysia, Brazil, and all throughout the U.S. Grace has a passion and gift for inspiring and nurturing prophetic communities of faith to live out loud the Jesus story. For Grace, the quintessential expression of the resurrected Lord's presence is a community whose very DNA is a radical hospitality, which births a loving and healthy tension that is ideological, theological, racial, ethnic, and cultural. She thrives on diversity. Grace is married to David Jones, and together they are the parents to Eric. Folks, death and anxiety surround us. I was tempted to re-record the intro for this episode because of the mass shooting in a Black community of Buffalo, New York. But then the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas took place and then more over the weekend. And I thought death and anxiety will always surround us no matter what date is on the headline. If Mr. Rogers encouraged us to look to the helpers in times of crisis, the community of faith is encouraged to look to the prophets. In this time of ecological crisis, the persistent problem of mass shootings, racialized violence, and the void that millions of lives lost to COVID-19 has left in our human community, we must look to the prophets. Pastor Grace will invite us to hold the posture of a prophet as she encourages us to imagine a new future. If it's true what Einstein said, that imagination is more important than knowledge, then according to Walter Brueggemann, the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture nourish and evoke imagination. This is a juicy episode. The wisdom that spills forth comes from a long life of experiencing the world and reflecting on the soft and hard and beautiful parts of life. Listen on, dear ones, and may your experience of God, yourself, your own pain, lead you to imagine new futures that bring God's shalom. This wonderful, wonderful theme of imagination. Imagination about 20 miles outside Nairobi, a stone throw away from Karen Blixen Museum, trucks of dirt arrive from the slopes of Mount Kenya, and they put their dirt, empty this dirt into a huge tub of water. This water is like the water of baptism or even tears. The, the dirt soaks, soaks the water for a whole week. For a whole week, water is added. And, and for a whole week, 
this this dirt becomes this muddy soup and after a week the muddy soup is then shifted and sieved through these these big big flat um wire that shifts it so that it separates the dirt and the rocks and then that soup sifts through and it's allowed to sit for another week or two and the water evaporates. It soon becomes this sort of a dough, a muddy dough. They, they take that muddy dough and they put it against two big flat uh, flaps and they squeeze it and leave it squeezed. And then it comes out as, as, as this easy to work with dough, almost as if you're kneading bread. And they take that dough then and begin to turn it, to roll it into beads. And they take the, the wire and put it through the, the, the beads while they're still soft. And then they take those beads and they put them in a oven, a homemade oven it looks like, and they leave it in that oven for the night. The next day they come and they paint the beads they paint the beads and then put them back in the oven again for another night and then they begin to make the different necklaces and beautiful things they they call the beads kazuri which is a word meaning small and beautiful So if you if you googled Kazuri <coughs> Nairobi, you would find whole um, YouTube's um, on how these beads are made. And so I brought these beads because I visited in April when I was in Kenya when I was home. I visited the factory. The it's actually just a really a a big almost a retreat center where they make these. Um, and I was, I bought a whole bunch of them. I bought way too many. And that's because I realized the women who make these beads, most of them, uh, if not all of them, are always on the edges struggling. And now that there is no tourism industry, there's no one to buy the beads. So I bought way too many beads um, to try and, and be helpful. And I, I, I asked you to take a bead so that maybe you can remember yourself in God's hands, God who soaks you in water, be it the water of your baptism or the tears you shed in the middle of the night the water that soaks you, God who sifts you, God who even allows you to be pressed, and then God who molds you, and God who makes you, even in the hottest of ovens, even the pandemic oven, 
that you might know yourself to be Kazuri, small and beautiful in God's hands. I brought you something that you might be able to be embodied in. So the world of imagination, I want to, to think of God as having this amazing imagination of turning this thing called my life, I who have always been so very, very shy. I'm always stunned when I'm invited to be preacher or to be the senior pastor. I who is so unsure of myself. I who have to always remember my grandmother's story every time I mount the, the pulpit. You carry such sweet water, mm. holding on as if, as if I'll fall, holding on. You carry such sweet water. Thinking about God's imagination in soaking me in waters of my baptism and waters of so many tears. And this God who has sifted me and this God who has allowed me to be pressed, this God who has molded me and this God who has allowed me to be even in the hottest of ovens, some which I shared a story with you. This God then who calls me Kazuri, small and beautiful. May that be true for you as well. Imagination, this kind of imagination, Albert Einstein is quoted as saying that imagination is more important than knowledge. Mm. Now, I wish there had been, you know, a time when we recorded what Albert Einstein was saying, because most of the time I always wonder, did you really say that or did people say that? <laughs> if we put this to Albert Einstein's name, it will sound much more weightier. Who knows? But it's a good one. Imagination is more important than knowledge. But Walker, Walter Brueggemann has written that the prophetic, the prophet engages in futuring fantasy. In other words, a prophet is one who imagines a future. And, and I push back on, on Brueggemann and ask him, how does one do that? And I've been blessed that I can actually make a phone call to Brueggemann. <laughs> how does one do that? How does one imagine something outside the dominant consciousness? How, how does one imagine when one is so exhausted by the pandemic? I push back because Brueggemann says the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke imagination. When he says that, I'm, I'm thinking of nurturing, nourishing, evoking imagination as soaking in water. 
I'm imagining it as seething. I'm imagining it as as pressing. I'm imagining this this oven of heat. I'm imagining it as rolling those beads. I'm imagining that our work, our work is not just to help people parachute and be outside the experience, but actually be able to nurture, nourish, and evoke imagination. He writes that imagination is a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. How to have a different perception. The kind of perception where you call me your sister so that what happens to me, you don't feel sorry for me because it happened to you, it happened to us. We are so interwoven, so closely interwoven. The work of imagination is to actually realize how closely we are interwoven. Don't forget 10 years before 9-11, Osama bin Laden had bombed the embassy in Nairobi, Kenya. Mm. as practice. Mm. Did you think it was just there, far away? Were you like me in January 2020 when you were seeing what was happening over there in Wuhan, China? Mm. Far, far away. And watching them wearing masks, face masks, and thinking, oh, that is so weird. Can you imagine how awful that would be, we would say? Do we not yet realize how interwoven we are? That what happens to one of us happens to all of us. Yes. <clears throat> and the stories of injustice is not just for you to feel sad and sorry. That will get you nowhere. Right. It is to actually know that happened to you. Yes. Someone asked me a difficult question um, earlier on that got me thinking about another experience of sitting, waiting for my luggage at the Chicago airport um, just not too long ago. And someone I don't know what was the matter with that lady. She looked over and she saw me and she said, go back to where you came from. Go back to your country. And everybody around me was so embarrassed. So embarrassed. All the good people, you know how it is. Good people just get so embarrassed and just and just don't know. They just want to pretend it didn't happen. So they kind of just put their eyes down and just will it away. You know, please, God, let this erase this. Use your big eraser, God. But there is the stink in the room and everybody is air freshening it with their prayers and their thoughts. And I thought, all you have to do is just not even make a speech. 
Just use your body, embodying. Use your body. Come stand next to me. Mm -hmm. That's all. You just go stand next to the person. You don't have to make some speech. It's not time. There are things which, what can you say? What can you say? You can't change. Someone sometimes is so themselves, so caught up in their own story that they don't see. They're just as blind. Just, 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 and you don't want to cause more harm. Just, just go stand next to the person so that it's clear that you're not the only black person in the room. I too, I'm standing next to you. You see her, you see me too. Mm. Not the only woman in the room. Some man needs to come and stand next to you. To say no. No. And you don't have to say a thing. You don't even have to have clever words, clever arguments. Just our theme, embodying. Use your body for crying out loud. Just go stand next to somebody. So I, I thought, ah, maybe that's a tip. Maybe that's a tip. That, that you, can, you can just go stand there. So, so I know how to stand, how to put my body with someone who is being bullied or who's being attacked or who's being I know how to do that and that one doesn't have to have words you just simply put your body beside the other whether it's an LGBTQ person whether it is a trans sibling that you don't have to have the entire the entire debate on on human sexuality. You don't need even to have all that down pat. You don't even need to know the Bible verses. Just put your body beside somebody. Mm-hmm. Just, just take that kazuri that God created and put it somewhere. This, this question of imagination i like the way brueggemann talks about it the prophet does not ask if the vision can be implemented for questions of implementation are of no consequence until the vision can be imagined the imagination must come before the implementation our culture is competent to implement almost anything and to imagine almost nothing. The same royal consciousness that make it possible to implement anything and everything is the one that shrinks imagination because imagination is a danger. That is why every totalitarian regime is frightened of the artist. 
It is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on conjuring and proposing futures, alternatives to the single one the king wants to urge as the only thinkable one. I just love Brother <laughs> I got so carried away, that's, that's why I brought the prodigal father, the prodigal mother, the prodigal parent, because Brueggemann says quite clearly the one thing the dominant culture cannot tolerate or co-opt is compassion. The ability to stand in solidarity with the victims of the present order, it can manage charity and good intentions, but it has no way to resist solidarity with pain or grief. But that, that is why the compassion of, of this father, mother, parent is such an assault to the dominant consciousness. Because compassion Compassion cannot be co-opted. That, that is why I brought the story of Bethany when Brueggemann once again says, Jesus knew what we numb ones must always learn again and again, that weeping must be real because endings are real, and that weeping permits newness. Jesus' weeping permits the kingdom to come. Such weeping is a radical criticism, a fearful dismantling because it means the end of our all machismo. Weeping is something kings rarely do without losing their thrones. Yes. Who the fuck <laughs> that weeping is a weapon. Who the thunk that weeping is criticism? And I, I wonder about myself because even with all the death and the dying around me, even with all the fear and anxiety, not once have I wept in the pulpit. Maybe outside now and again, but my people have never seen me weep. They have seen me strong. They have seen me hopeful. They have seen me onward. Again, Bruneman says, the fact that Jesus weeps and that he is moved in spirit and troubled contrasts remarkably with the dominant culture. That is not the way of power. Jesus is engaged not in social control, but in dismantling the power of death. And he does so by submitting himself to the pain and grief present in the situation, the very pain and grief that the dominant society must deny. 
I don't know about you, but I don't like Brueggemann very much because he's finding me out. <laughs> and so I brought this guy who refused to wear the king's garment in the banquet room. This guy who refused the patriarchal lens of interpretation, even if he was going to benefit this guy, this white woman who refused the privilege of being a white woman. Because American history is filled with white women killing black men. He whistled at me, lynch him. He looked at me. How dare you look at our women? Yes. <clears throat> Brueggemann goes on to say, the cross is the assurance that effective prophetic criticism is done not by an outsider, but always by one who must embrace the grief, enter into death, and know the pain of the criticized one. Only an insider can change things. And an insider, it means being an insider is giving up power, embracing grief, death, and the pain of the criticized one. It is about putting oneself in an awkward place. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus at the watering hole, meeting St. 14, the luminous one. <clears throat> putting oneself in an awkward place. And in the place of awkwardness is the place of imagination. Mm -hmm. So thank God for your feeling awkward, for the times you have felt uncomfortable, because those are holy moments. Yes. Those are moments of imagination. Those are prophetic moments. preacher who isn't afraid of history. I love a preacher who isn't afraid of death. A preacher who isn't afraid to get awkward and be found out. Imagination indeed allows us to develop a different consciousness, an alternative to the dominant culture around us. I've quoted Trisha Hersey, the Knapp Ministry Bishop before, and in keeping with her work, I also remember Dr. Brueggemann saying, Sabbath is not only resistance, it is alternative. It is an alternative to the demanding, chattering, pervasive presence of capitalism and domination systems that seek to destroy. 
the same domination systems that coerce us into anxiety and despair because imagination, rest, and play are seen as quote-unquote wasteful. The next time you feel like you're not being productive enough, that you're not holy enough, that you're not praying enough, that you're not working enough, that you snuck in alone time or a walk or a nap, I encourage you to look to the prophets who were only able to hold alternate visions of the ways we could be in community because they spent time in rest. They spent time in relaxation. They spent time getting uncomfortable and feeling awkward. Share this podcast with others. May it be a nudge, a guide, an honoring of intuitions you've long held, and a means for justice in your lives and in the lives of all. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Pastor Grace, join us at the next online or in-person Academy retreat. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.